Hey, hey, hey. You know what that means. It's the second episode of the Get Smoked podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Dowdy. Fan, MMA fan, MMA fan analyst. And this is the second episode, so I'm, I'm happy that you're listening. This is the part where I put in my little disclaimer that I have... No MMA, tra- formal MMA training, no uh, gym affiliation, no fighter affiliation, no management, no no anything. Nothing that really gives me any uh, authority over saying who can win these fights other than having watched the sport for uh, close to 15 years at this point and absorbing other uh, analysis over that time as well. Uh, there are a few people that I could cite that are uh, influences of mine just based on listening to what they've done. Uh, Zane Simon, Connor Rebush, Phil McKenzie. These are all people who work for uh, an MMA journalist website known as uh, Bloody Elbow. And then, you know, Dan Tom. The fight site. These are people who are very big in the uh, analysis space of MMA, and uh, I don't know. They've given me the the tools in some ways to analyze some of these, uh, to some extent, these bouts. And again, uh, trying to be uh, re- as respectful I, as I can be when it comes to. The analysis of fighter skills. Uh, there might be some issue with that when we go into the recap of this week, which I mean, I should have probably started with that. But the structure of my episodes are going to be you know, I'm going to do my little intro, talk to you guys a little bit about whatever, and then my little disclaimer. And then uh, each week is either going to you know, we're going to have a recap of last week's picks going from bottom to top. And then we will go into the this week's breakdown in the third portion of the episode. So, with that said, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, probably a good time to take a break and do get into the next segment. So, getting into recapping USC 266, just some broad strokes to paint here before we get into the actual recap. Really good card. Uh, you know, there were people, you know, is one of those cards where, you know, people say that the UFC is just saving all of their, you know, any matchups that matter for uh, pay-per-views, and that's probably true, but... I was very entertained. I had a friend over, a couple friends over, and uh, we watched the card. I was fairly entertained, but I'm usually entertained by MMA. He seemed entertained. I don't know. It was a. I thought it was a good card, but going into the actual breakdown, the recap portion of that card, 
just going top to bottom. I mean, bottom to top, excuse me. And we're kind of just going to, you know, look at the fights. Did I get to pick right? And, you know, kind of talk about whether or not any of the things that I said from last week held up when it comes to the, the picks. And here we go. Uh, we're going to start with Pierce versus Morales. Now, starting off this card with an L in terms of picking, but I don't think I gave uh, Jonathan Pierce enough credit when it came to his wrestling and grappling. And I think that's because this uh, fight was at featherweight, and I did not know you had dropped down for his previous two bouts. And he was able to maintain a pace as well that Morales can keep. And, uh, yeah, he read not only as the better grappler, but he seemed like the bigger dude when they were locking up, which is not something that I had anticipated at all. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, you know, Morales was winning a lot of the striking exchanges early on, but as the – you know, the first round progressed. Pierce was having more success on the feet and then started initiating his grappling towards the end of the first round. And then I think he scored the sub towards the middle of the second because he just, you know, he went straight back to wrestling and grappling because that's where he was finding the most success. I don't know. Uh, Jonathan Pierce. Uh, going forward, going to have to reevaluate him a little bit and not just uh, look at his Joe Lozon loss at lightweight, even though that is a bad mark. That's a bad, bad mark. Quick one here. Semi versus uh, Simmelsberger versus Sano, the professional opponent who is Nick Diaz's friend. And all I have to say to that is, you know, with friends like Nick Diaz, who needs enemies? Because he got knocked the fuck out in 17 seconds, I think. Uh, Snow, that is. And, yeah, very strange bout to have in the UFC. It, it's not, I don't want to say it's a bad look, but I know that, you know, Snow probably got the biggest payday of his entire life probably $8,000 or something ridiculous to get knocked out in 17 seconds. But also, someone put a $5,000 bet on Martin Sano. I'm just going to say, dude, like, you need to find some help. Whoever did that, you need to find some help. I'm just going to say that. No matter, no matter how much money you have in the bank, you need to you need to find your way to the Lord or something. Anyways, moving on. Maximoff Brundage. Can't really say that I got this pick right. Um, I will say Nick Maximoff kind of has like a Khabib-like game, and I don't want to say that. You know, you say stuff like that, people start getting upset. I mean that like, he just needs to get his hands on you. I was not impressed at all by his wrestling. I'll just say that. Like, I've never seen someone get the hips and then drop to their knees so fast than Nick Maxmoff did in this fight. He's another Nick Diaz Academy guy, but he performed well against 
Cody Brundage, who's kind of like a, I don't know, like a, a wrestler in his own right with some striking ability. It was a late replacement for Carl Roberson. Uh, I still think Carl Roberson would have lost, even though he's a physical, he's a pretty physical, but I don't know. Not much else to say about that, though. Kind of a slop fest. Turner versus Menich. So I feel like I got this exactly right. Turner having been tested against better competition in the UFC was able to just stand and fire and was able to hurt uh, Menich with sharper punches, sharper strikes, and eventually score the sub on him. I was, uh, you know, Menich might actually be the more durable fighter overall when you look at it, but uh, Turner's ability to stay calm in the pocket and stay composed and uh, stay, you know, tactical and sharp in the situations where he had Menich hurt led to the finish and, you know, ultimately led to Menich being hurt. So I was very proud of this read when I saw it happening. Also because I don't like Menich. But it's a story for a different time. Uh, I have Kyle Dawkus or Cop Dawkus, uh, Chris Dawkus, whichever one of them is the cop versus Shabir Abdul Rahimov, I believe so. Uh, now, I picked Chris Dawkus. Uh, and I was pretty much right about this matchup. He was just a faster guy. Shamil's kind of old. There are some other things I learned later on in the week about Shamil, but I put Shamil on DraftKings. That's like primarily what I play. I do horribly on DraftKings. So, anyways, I got the essential read of this, you know, about. Correct. Shamil, I think if he were younger, he probably would have won. But that wasn't the case. And he was knocked out. So, moving on. Roxy versus uh, Talia Santos. You know, Roxy, she never ceases to amaze me. How she was able to make this bout close in any way is really beyond me. And the commentary for this was fucking horrible, by the way. Saying that Roxy often has a strength advantage. In what in what matchups, dude? What the fuck are you talking about? John Anik. Anyways. Uh, but, yeah. Talia Santos. Athlete's gonna athlete. Fucking her up. Every time she hits her, it's three times harder. Roxy's still standing in there and being tough, getting takedown. Dude. All right, folks. I just lost like half of my recap portion for USC 266. So I'm just going to go back into it very quickly. Got Hooker versus Hawkfrost. Hooker controlled most of the bout with volume and, uh, Towards the end of the bout is wrestling. Hawk Price looked like he couldn't get going. 
So you had to get through the volume, the uh, attacking at all levels from Dan Hooker. And yeah, Hawk Ross was doing a lot of exploding from distance to try and get to Hooker's chin. A lot of head hunting too. And then at the end of the like third round, it was basically a wrestling domination. So that's pretty much that for that bout. Uh, Marab versus Marlon. Uh, pretty predictable. I mean, I said it was going to be like the Suhudo fight, but it pretty much kind of was. It's not like in broad strokes. Marlon blows his wad in the first round, uh, trying to finish Marab, and then loses all confidence. And is almost KO'd, is basically KO'd at the end of the first round. But the bout continues, and Marab finishes him in the second. I mean, this was pretty predictable if you look at the... I mean, this whole card was fairly predictable. So I don't want to give myself too much credit when I break, you know, doing this recap. You know, this isn't... This wasn't... This card wasn't really rocket science. Uh, besides Sheila Turner, when I... I I like that in terms of my technical analysis. But other than that, this is a very predictable card. And I don't know where Marlon Marais really goes from here. I think he will probably be cut. It's cut or a fight. Or another guy who's just going to knock him out. Uh, moving on, we have uh, Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo. Yeah, was there any doubt that she was just going to fuck her up? No, not really. Calvillo's not really athletic. Like, she's big or was big at women's straw weight. I know Andrade was a women's straw weight, but she's fought as high as women's bantamweight. She's a little tank, man. She's going to fuck up any pretty much any person that can't physically match her in some way, be it speed or power, you know, etc. Like there I don't think there's a technician in MMA that can really in women's MMA that can handle Andrade. Like uh like I, when I say that I mean like uh someone who's not athletic. Not that athletic fighting Andrade, who relies on technique. I don't think that person exists right now, personally. And, uh, moving on, Curtis Blades, you know, versus Jair Rosenstrike, pretty much one-sided. Uh, you know, not slow pace. It was a very, fairly high-paced, you know, heavyweight bout. But, you know, Blades pretty much dominated. Looked good in the striking uh, Jair Rosenstrike, he uh, looked more voluminous. Voluminous. He had threw more volume than I had seen in previous bouts, which is a good sign. Like, he led more, even though it looked worse. And I think he needed to do that to even put himself in contention for winning this bout, which he didn't. But I like the fact that these people are thinking – that like, I can't just do what I've been doing against all these people. It's not working anymore. So I like that, even in a loss. 
Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz. Uh, this was quite a war for a little bit. I mean, Robbie was winning most fit. I just want to say I I was wrong about this, both in picking and how the fight would play out. I thought this would be a, a staring contest, and it wasn't. This is probably the last great bout of both men's careers. Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to watch, honestly. I was very happy, very happy to see that. Uh, Nick was here to fight, and so was Robbie. So I was entertained. Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy. Was there any doubt? No. Um, I don't know who Shevchenko fights next. Is it going to be... It's just going to be another sacrificial lamb at this point because there's nobody who both she's at a technical and athleticism ceiling that is going to be very hard to reach. And there are a couple of people that I think at a certain point could reach that Talia Santos, but they need more polish. They need a lot more polish. They even want to compete. Anyways, Alexander Volkanovsky defeats Brian Ortega via unanimous decision. Yeah, one judge gave a 49-46. Don't really see how that's possible. Pretty clear, you know, four rounds to one. You could give Volkanovsky that that uh, second. I mean, you could give Ortega that second round, but, I mean, that's it. There's no way he won two rounds. I don't care about the close submission attempts. I think those came in the, the third or the fourth. He ended up getting smashed, absolutely smashed from bottom after those attempts. So, like, brutal ground and pound. Like, so, is you know, watching it, it was exciting, but it was really a pretty one-sided bout all about. You know, when everything's said and done. And then, you know, looking at Volkanovski going forward, personally, I think the only matchup to make is going to be the third hallway fight. And a lot of people are going to be not like that, but I just think that's the best fight to make. So that does it for the recap of last week's card. In the next portion of the episode, we're going to go into our breakdown of UFC Santos versus Walker. This time, it's going to be complete with betting lines, people. I know that gets everywhere titties in a knot, so maybe I shouldn't be saying stuff like that. But anyways, on to segment three. He gonna get smoked. He gonna get smoked. Hey, 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 it's segment three of the Get Smoked podcast where we do our official breakdown for this week's UFC card. This week's UFC card is Thiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, the light heavyweight clash in the main event, what everyone wants. As usual, I shouldn't be saying that, this is only the second episode. But we'll be doing a breakdown from bottom to top. 
I prefer that way. Uh, if you don't, let me know. And this week, uh, we're going to have, I'm going to be reading odds from a odds website just to add that extra element of analysis because the people who make the odds are often smarter than the people betting on them. Excuse me, had to take a little sip there. But getting into it, uh, starting with a bantamweight bout between Johnny Eduardo and Alejandro Perez. Now, Perez is the minus 230 favorite with Johnny Eduardo at plus 185. Now, I got to say, this is a tough bout for me to get a solid read on. Only because uh, I feel like there's a lot going on with this one. Johnny Eduardo, he's pushing close to 40 years old. I'm almost certain as a, yeah, he's 43 years old as a uh, bantamweight in the UFC. That doesn't really work. But the thing is, Alejandro Perez, or at least in the past, has had trouble Throwing with enough volume. He's always in these nip-tuck, close split decisions that could really go either way. There are a lot of cases, it feels like. So not a lot of go lot going on, you know. But I think I'm just going to have to go with the younger gun on this one, even though I think Johnny Eduardo is probably going to be throwing more. I think he's just going to be able to hurt him at a certain point, Perez, that is, and uh, get the victory that way. Probably, I'm going to say the first round, a first-round stoppage. Unusual for Perez, but I think... Eduardo is going to put himself in the fire. And that's usually how people get finished. We have Douglas De Silva Andrade versus Gato Pirello. Not really sure anything about Mr. Pirello. Uh, I'm going to pick Andrade. Looks like Gato I'm sorry if I'm just butchering your name, but there's not a lot I can say. He's experienced. It's 15, 6, and 1. It's not a, a record to scoff at. It's not like he's really old. Being submitted by Ricky Simone isn't exactly the worst thing in the world. Drog just has a ton of fights and a ton of high-level experience, and I don't think that's going to bode well for Mr. El Tigre. And so the pick is going to be a Drog, who's a minus 240 favorite, while uh, Mr. 
Corello is a plus 190 underdog. Now, this is this belt might be the sleeper pick. If you're going to bet something at the current odds, just going to say, Devontae Smith, minus 165 versus Jamie Malarkey, plus 135. I I mean, just at a cursory glance, Devontae Smith is somebody who relies a lot on being a physical presence. Uh, he's not fought the highest level of competition, and he's lost that to some of that level of competition as well. You know, he lost to Karma uh, Kama Worthy, and he fought Justin James and Dung Kang Ma. These are a couple of the most knockoutable people in the weight classes that, you know, respectively. All three of these men, in fact, that he's fought in the UFC are some of the most knockoutable people he'll be able to fight. He lost to one of them via knockout. Jamie Malarkey is over here fighting fucking Alexander Volkanovsky. And who else? Excuse me, folks. Got to do a full show research. Jamie Malarkey here. Sorry for the dead air here, folks. He just finished Kamar. Kama worthy. He lost to Faraz Ziyam, who's a just a ridiculously tall kickboxer, it seems like, for lightweight. And I know Moraki fought Volkanovski very early on in his career. And Brad Riddell. It might have just been Brad Riddell who he fought. No, he fought Volkanovski too on the regional scene. So this guy's got high-level experience against good opponents. Now, he's not beating these guys, but it's better than what Devontae Smith has faced. If Devontae Smith faces adversity, I'm pretty sure he's going to crumble because that's all I've seen so far from him is adversity and then crumbling. Anytime... You know, if the opponent just goes away, they just go away. But I just don't – I don't see it here. So the pick is going to be Malarkey, the underdog. So if you want to lose some money, bet on Jamie Malarkey is what I'm trying to say here, people. I know I'm rambling here a little bit. The structure of these episodes isn't what I want it to be currently. But if you Give me two seconds here, folks. We'll get right back on track. If I had a producer, I could just be yelling at them at this time. Just be yelling, the fuck are you doing? But I don't. Pretty easy about to call next. Betch Cohea, plus 270, the people's champ, versus Carol Hosa, minus 360. The line is indicative of what we think here, folks. 
Uh, Carol Holtz is going to fuck Betchkoea up because that's what happens to Betchkoea when she fights people who are uh, who do MMA okay and can and have the athletic prowess to uh, hurt her. And Carol Hosa may not look like the biggest athlete, but she's definitely strong. And her volume and her her strength are just going to carry her through this, and she's probably going to knock out Betch Kohea. We'll say in the second round after Betch does like a crazy taunt that everyone's like, oh, look at that. Look how stupid Betch Kohea is. And then she'll instantly get KO'd because that's what she does. But she'll be fighting the correct fight the entire time up until that point. Oof. I was going to say, you know, now we've got a women's flyweight belt. Valentina Shevchenko plus, or excuse me, Antonia Shevchenko plus 190 versus Casey O'Neill minus 220. And I just got to say that. You know, leave the all the grooming of by her coach Antonia Shevchenko we're talking about here aside. She's just not as good at MMA as Valentina is, and she's never going to be. She's not as good of an athlete, and uh, yeah, she's. She's kind of looks like a gangly mess on the feet. She just wants to get a hold of you and put you in the clinch and, and knee and stuff. But I like what I'm seeing from her opponent here, Casey King O'Neill. And it's 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 mainly an initiative thing with this one. I think Antonia has, like, the size. and They're going to be competent when it comes, you know, they're going to be comparative when it comes to, like, you know, strength. Antonia, like I said, is going to have the size. But I really do think Antonia is not a very good grappler off her back. And if you're not, Casey O'Neill is probably going to, you know, have a field day if she gets you to the ground, which I think, you know, it's not like Antonia has shown like bulletproof takedown defense either. So I if this gets to the ground, I think Casey O'Neill is gonna finish her like very quickly. She's got some pretty vicious ground and pound. And I don't know too much about her submission acumen, but Antonia can put herself in positions to be RNC. So the pick is going to be Casey O'Neill. I would have thought that the betting lines would be uh, with Antonia being the favorite. They're a little too far apart if you're placing a bet, in my opinion, right now at this point. But if you get better odds, plug a brother up. Let a brother know. But, um, from what I'm seeing, uh, it's a, you know, stay away from this type bout. Moving on to a lightweight, lightweight bout between Joe Selecki and Jared Gordon. Uh, 
Oh, this doesn't feel like that tough about to call. Some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. Just need some little bit of backup information here. Eric Gordon seems like a guy that a lot of people in the UFC like, like commentators. You know, he's friends with Paul Felder and stuff. But, yeah. If I'm looking at this, basically anyone who has any finishing potential on the feet finish, has finished him in the UFC. Jared Gordon, that is. And I don't think that's the case for Selecki. I don't think he has a lot of finishing potential on the feet. I think that, you know, he wants to push his grappling. I think he's a black belt or a high-level black belt. Like that's his that's his stilo. That's what we're supposed to be here for, I think. And Jim Miller, Austin Hubbard. I mean, Austin Hubbard is probably the best proxy here for a UFC opponent. He was able to finish him. Oh, man. It's really just me wanting to pick Selecki and uh, not... By the way, the lines are Joe Selecki, minus 125, uh, Jerry Gordon, plus 105. Me wanting to pick Selecki and wanting to find, like, an easy read for how this fight goes. Maybe Jim Miller is a better proxy. Kind of like a combination puncher off the back foot, which, you know, Gordon will do. I don't think, I mean, he is kind of like a come-forward-esque type of fighter. Oh, it's so hard. But when he gets put in the back foot, it's it's pretty much over for him, it looks like. The pick is going to be Selecki here. Um, I think this is going to be a pretty sloppy fight, honestly. Just because Jared Gordon's a pretty good grappler in his own right. But I think Selecki's just going to have the initiative advantage. Uh... Jared Gordon kind of bounces around, bounces between lightweight and featherweight, which, you know, which means he's going to be on the, should be on the smaller physical side for Mr. Selecki here, who's a, looks like he's been a career lightweight. Got an inch of height advantage. No, he doesn't. Got two inches in reach. I'm picking Selecki. Don't really have much to support it. I think it's going to be a grappling slot fest. But if it does stay on the feet, I will say I think Jared Gordon will win. I don't think it will because I think Jared Gordon is happy to try and grapple with people. But ultimately, I don't think that's going to be a successful path to victory, especially in this bout for him. 
We have Alexander Hernandez versus Mike Breeden in our next bout. Uh, there's no lines here. Don't know much about Mike Breeden. Know a little bit about Alexander Hernandez. He is kind of a broken man. And I don't mean that, like, in a derogatory way. And then people are, how can you say you don't mean that in a derogatory way? I mean it in his fighting. Alexander Hernandez came in and knocked out Benil Dariush in, like, eight seconds. Or something crazy. 42 seconds. And then he fought Donald Cerrone and got fucking humbled. Really badly. Like, badly humbled. And, you know, he's never... He just has not looked like the same fighter. At all. I mean, he's fighting high-level competition, so don't get me wrong. He's fighting people like Drew Dober and Tiago Moises and stuff. But I don't think that guy gets... That guy probably doesn't get enough credit. So, and then we... We're going to take a look at Mike Breeden just real quick from a topology perspective here. He's fighting people with winning records. Oh, he lost on the contender series. Okay. That's pretty much all we need to know. I don't know if anyone who's ever lost on the contender series has come on to come into the UFC has ever won a fight. Maybe someone who's a little more diligent about statistics and stuff could do some analysis of that, but yeah. I'm picking Alexander Hernandez here. Let's just double check, make sure this wasn't like a canceled bout as well. No, this is intended to happen. So according to Tapology, this was a scheduled bout that they want. Oh, no. Actually, excuse me, uh, Alexander Hernandez was supposed to fight Leonardo Santos, the the timeless Leonardo Santos, but that bout was canceled. So we're picking Alexander Hernandez to be a late replacement opponent who lost in the contender series. Not exactly the highest of highs for Mr. Mike Breeden here. Moving on. We have a women's bantamweight fight between Aspen Land versus Macy Kazon. Kazon. Macy Kazon. She's a dangerous Kazon, as some might say. Now, this is kind of like one of those bouts uh, from a bygone era. When Joe Silva was the matchmaker, he used to just make funny kind of matchups between, like, the tallest person and the shortest person in the weight class. This is what that feels like. Now, I've got a couple of different uh, heights for Aspen Rad. 5'5", 5'6". I don't know. She is not very big. Macy Kaysan seems like she towers over most of her competition. And they're both going to want to use a grappling attack. Or if 
Aspen does not use a grappling attack. I don't see how she can win. Uh, both these women are nothing to write home about on the feet. Like, I, like, I, I can't even tell you what they look like. Like, Aspen Lance doing key eyes from a mile away. Not always. And Miss is just like a gangly kind of slop fest. Both these women want to work from top. Both these women, uh, can be damaging from top. I know some analysts like to make fun of Aspen Lad because she key eyes from ground and pound positions from the top. And they say, oh, that's how she gets to the stoppage in her bouts. I don't think that's the case. If you look at the her bout with, I believe, Tanya Evinger, she was smashing her head into the canvas. It, you know, well, if she wants a key eye from top, and that helps her when you know mentally win fights. Then I don't think it is something people need really need to make fun of. But with that said, I am going to pick Macy Kazan. I don't know if I let that out of the bag. I'm picking the underdog here. Size parity is a huge thing when it comes to grappling, especially if you want to grapple from top. Um, I wish I had a better read on the, the entries for takedowns that Aspen Lad has. I know that if they tie up in the clinch, uh, she's probably going to wind up on her back. Or uh, Macy Kazan's going to kind of like do the whole like spider crawl to her back from the you know, while they're standing up because uh, Lab will be so much shorter. So this should be an interesting bout. I'm picking Kazan. I don't know if she's going to finish her. She probably will if it goes the way I'm thinking. Like second round stoppage potentially here. That's my read or absolute slop fest. Uh, but yeah, that's the read and picking case on not terribly confident going to a middleweight bout. Interestingly enough, Nisha Serkinov versus Christoph Jocko. Hmm. 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 We're do a little quick research here. I probably should be doing this before the bouts before I start the podcast, but it's important. Let's see. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. It's going to be a difficult, difficult one to call. There are a couple of tiers to this. Because uh, Jocko has one, one finish in the UFC via strikes. That's his only finish in the UFC at all. And Serkinov loses by being knocked out. Uh, And he's dropping down here from light heavyweight. So this is going to technically be 
the biggest softball that Sherkinoff can get at middleweight. They're going to be a lot of other people who have a little more pop on their hands than uh, Jocko in this weight class. Jocko's ever also only ever been submitted one time in the UFC, which is uh, how Sirkinoff wants to win, or he how he wants to finish. And Jocko's fought uh, high-level grapplers. I know he fought um, Latis. This feels like it's going to be a really boring fight. I'm not going to pick Sirkinoff. He's the underdog, by the way, plus 135 to Jocko's minus 165. Not picking Sirkinoff uh, because I'm just not confident in that weight cut, man. I'm not going to pick a guy who's uh, getting knocked out in all of his losses and getting hurt in every single win. I know everyone's a puncher at light heavyweight, but it's just not for me, man. I don't know how the fight plays out, really. I know Jocko is a heavy, likes to lead heavy on kicks, stay at distance, but, man, it's hard not to think that uh, Sirkinoff's just not going to get hurt by something, especially with the weight cut, you know? I understand he wants to grapple, so he's going to drop down, but. I'm not going to pick him to be able to come up with the right formula for his first bout at middleweight. And Jocko's going to take advantage. So, I'm not, I don't know if I'm picking a finish. It's just, I, I really don't know how this one plays out. I'm picking Jocko. Moving on to a welterweight bout between Nico Price versus Alex Oliveira. This should be wild. Nico Price is the favorite, minus 155, to Alex Oliveira's plus 130. This is going to be a, a wild one for as long as it lasts. Now, my initial gut read is to pick Alex Oliveira. He's more powerful. Um, like, when he lands, it looks like the other people, like, especially when he's fighting, you know, his tier of competition, he's not fighting like Gunnar Nelson and stuff. Like, when he hits people, they're all, they always seem so shocked by, like, how much it hurts or, like, when they lock up, how strong he is. Like, people are, if and if you're shocked by him, he's probably going to beat you. Nico Price probably has way more heart than Alex Oliveira. As soon as the going gets tough, Alex looks for the way out. And I don't mean that in a really bad way. He's getting beat up. I understand. Uh, In fights like these where it's like just going to be a slobber knocker, I always have a tendency to lean with the athlete. You know, Nico Price looks like he's, like, he's named, like, the hybrid or something. But he's not really much of an athlete. He's kind of slow. He's got long arms. He's got big hands. And that's how he knocks people out. And he's not really technically skillful anywhere. It's kind of just like a sloppy wild man. So I think Oliver is probably just going to hurt him and put him away. He's not, 
like I said, he's not really durable either. So, yeah. Now there is Alex Oliveira. It's just that's just the the way I see the matchup. Moving on, the co-main event: Kevin Holland minus one fifty favorite versus Kyle Baucus plus one twenty five. Now, no doubt Kevin Holland has fought the higher-level competition, has had more opportunities, has some of, like, in the past few years, probably has, like, the most fights in the UFC. But it's not like he's flawless. And he's there's an obvious way to beat him. And... You know, spending a couple camps getting wrestled isn't exactly, you know, that's not going to just solve his I can be taken down problem. You know, I would, if it were that easy, everyone would be doing that. You know, but it's not. And his past two bouts, yeah wrestled and destroyed once completely one-sided um, so as I was saying these are I'm new to podcasting so I'm a little lost when it comes to how these segments work got cut off there so yeah essentially Kyle Dawkins is gonna come in here. He's gonna phase shift. He's gonna put punches together, and then he's going to wrestle. He's gonna get on uh, Kevin Holland's hips and take him down and keep him there. Because pretty much anyone who's anyone who has any type of wrestling has been able to do that. I know Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori are probably on the higher end of wrestlers in the middleweight division, but until Kevin Holland can prove that he can just out and out beat that style and it's not someone who's completely washed like Jacare was, then you know I'm gonna pick against him. So moving on to the main event of the evening, Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Santos coming in as the favorite, minus one seventy five, Johnny Walker plus one forty five. Underdog. And really all I have to say about this is I'm not really sure why Santos is the favorite. Uh, Johnny, but he's not exactly lighting the world on fire. So neither is Johnny Walker. I get that. But at least he still has two knees. I mean, Santos has just looked nothing like the fighter that got him to prominence in uh, in the light heavyweight division. He's tentative. He's getting taken down. He's getting beat up. It, most importantly, he's just kind of letting it happen. Not, I don't want to say, like, he's not trying. It's just, it definitely feels like there's a certain level of fire that has come out of Santos's game. I don't know if that's just, like, explosiveness or he's just, like, tired of fighting, tired of injuries. He's fighting people who can wrestle well. 
But even like when he's on the feet, it doesn't seem very inspired. You know, at least he would throw something crazy. Now he doesn't even do that. So, I think that element of craziness is necessary for um, Santos' fighting style to work, even against like lower levels of competition like Johnny Walker is. Now, I'm going to be picking Walker, and I will not be surprised if he absolutely just gets flat-armed. Like, because he's not good either. He's just the younger guy right now in the weight class. He's had a couple of humbling losses. Training at SBG Ireland, we don't like that. But Santos just looks like a shell of himself, and I don't know what he can do to... I know that it's been wrestling that's primarily been Santos's, you know, Achilles heel in these last two bouts, but man, does he just look like he's not the same guy. And maybe I will look stupid for picking Johnny Walker, but that's going to be the pick. Uh, that does it for the second episode of the Get Smoked podcast. Uh, I want to thank you, excuse me, for listening. Um, all my smokers out there, uh, I don't know, I'm just trying names for you guys, for my fans out here, for all the sta- the the Dylan Dowdy stands out there. Uh, my Twitter is at the Dylan Dowdy, and. You may have noticed that I have a, I have an intro song now, and that is by a gentleman on Twitter, uh, goes by the name of Rick Doofus. So if you could, you know, maybe take a look at his Twitter, give him a shout. I really like the intro song, so it's going to stay for a while until something else better and newer comes along which is, you know, bound to happen at some point. Just kidding. Just kidding, Rick. But for now, that's the show. And do your best to try and not get smoked. He gonna get smoked. He gonna get smoked. Get smoked with just one round.